Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's podcast. I'm J.W. Marshall and it's great to have with us today Raj Valley, CEO and founder of Thinkster. How are you doing today, Raj? Very good, J.W. Good to have an opportunity to connect with you here today. Absolutely. And give our audience uh, just a little bit of background about yourself and about Thinkster. Very good. Uh, well, JW, at a very high level, I uh, developed this company about eight years back. It's a knowledge acceleration platform company currently focused on K-8 through through test prep. We are a supplemental learning uh, provider, meaning that we are able to provide uh, tutoring solutions, especially in uh, math and test prep for parents in grades K through 8 and test prep. We are building a 9 through 12 program right now. Uh, and uh, we are very focused on using data to drive delivery of learning outcomes. And I think that we are probably the only company in the planet that is able to provide an actual elite tutor to provide monitoring, grading, and feedback to every student on a daily basis, which is 24 by 7 by 365 at extremely affordable price points. In that sense, we are not too dissimilar to other companies which have essentially transformed spaces uh, like uh, Netflix did the same thing to video rental businesses by digitizing the delivery of entertainment. Amazon did the same thing by digitizing the delivery of CDs and books in the earlier incarnation. Today, they do pretty much everything else. And Uber and Lyft have actually digitized the ability to, you know, essentially uh, uh, hail a cab uh, by digitizing that uh, r- taxi ride hailing experience. We are essentially completely in the business of digitizing the delivery of tutoring services with hyper personalization to every student. That sounds too good to be true. Uh, tell me more about logistically how does how does that work? Yeah, so uh, JWB, uh, I'm a six, certified Six Sigma black belt. I actually have spent about 20 years, actually 25 years in a nonprofit capacity, volunteering my time for, uh, you know, providing basic education to underprivileged students, predominantly in India. I've been working, this is a volunteering job I did uh, part-time, uh, you know, outside of my regular professional uh, careers. Uh, but uh, predominantly, I viewed every opportunity from a data perspective. I, uh, I, I, I looked at problems. I've actually worked in uh, 11 different industry verticals, everything from aerospace, automotive, chemicals, pharmaceuticals, industrial control, software, and on and on and on. But I have had the unique opportunity and privilege to be exposed to different industries and different, uh, you know, segments. And in all cases, it all boiled down to only one thing, uh, JW, which is uh, people all over the world are using data to deliver outstanding learning outcomes. I was actually at Honeywell Aerospace when uh, Honeywell actually was had partnered with NASA to send the Mars rover, and they were talking about a precision delivery within 20 square kilometers to launch, uh, you know, a little widget, <laughs> if I can call it into the next planet, and it got me thinking that, uh, hey, if we can do so many amazing things in so many other industrial verticals like life sciences and pharma and uh, aerospace and all of those things, why is it that uh, we are still okay with uh, students in grade four and grade eight, you know, the typical NAIS, NAIS uh, statistics that we all see that there is between 40 and 50% of students failing. And so that got me thinking that this should not be that difficult. And essentially, 
led us to this, what I would call as a pattern matching problem, which is when a student, if you can take a, a, a slice of a student's brain in a very visual manner, you try to peek into that student's brain, and if you think about it as a Scrabble board, and if you look at this from a knowledge pattern, if that's if that Scrabble board representation of a slice of the brain, uh, you know, uh, is representing the knowledge state of that particular student for let's say third grade math or eighth grade math or whatever you want to call it, and then you see all these you know squares being lit either gray or green or yellow or red. Uh, kind of telling you how much does the student know, how much does the student not know, how much does the student partially know. That's kind of what we call as a beginning state. We all know what the end state has to be, which is all of those squares has to be completely green. So we have done something fundamentally simple, which is you have a starting point and you have an ending point. If you think of that as a roadmap and we are able to then say, what should we do? And we talk about this as a segment of one, which is we do this, uh, we, we, we try to solve this problem for uh, every single student. That's why we call it as hyper-personalization. So when we look at this and say, this is a data problem, because you know what your starting point is, which is a few squares being green, few squares being yellow, and so on and so forth, and the ending point to be all squares has to be green, then you figure out, okay, what is the, so you've, you've determined point A, and you've determined point B. Now, you have to get from point A to point B in the fastest amount of time. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about why I say fastest in a, in a, in a, in a second, right? But once you actually are then, uh, you know, able to understand how, what does it take for us to go from point A to point B in the shortest possible time, uh, time frame? And how do we make sure that it's actually the most efficient? And how do we make sure that the student is going to remain engaged throughout this journey from going to point A, from point A to point B? then actually this becomes more of a data science problem than essentially a teaching problem. And the beauty is that like an Uber journey ends in your destination, you wanted to go to the airport and the, and the Uber driver is able to drop you at the airport, we can now guarantee that we will be able to drop you off at point B using data science and all kinds of pedagogical, uh, you know, techniques. I, I know I'm being very, uh, you know, uh, you know, saying things at a very high level, but I just want to give you a quick answer to your question about how are we able to do it. It's a data science problem that you have solved. That's amazing. And, and that's definitely something that uh, is, is much needed and expected to happen eventually. And uh, with many things, especially during this pandemic, eventually is happening already. It is already, you know, something that uh, the technology is being accelerated. Um, have you seen any changes um, in your direction or in the market? Or what are the biggest changes? I'm sure you've seen changes that you've seen over the last six months and the, during the pandemic. Well, the, the, the first thing is that uh, a very unfortunate set of circumstances that we are all living in, bizarre, if I can call it. And, uh, you, you know, I really don't wish this to happen ever, uh, you know, for the, in the interest of humanity. But given that we are going through what is being forced upon us at this point in time because of all of those COVID situations that's being forced upon us, school teachers, students, parents, and the overall community at large, the one thing that has come out is that, uh, Online uh, technologies like Zoom video conference calls or, uh, you know, Google Hangouts or any of those things are now being completely utilized by all school systems. Every single teacher, parent and student is in some way, form or shape is being exposed to these technologies. 
these technologies always carried the potential of doing something way more than just be helping corporate guys like you and me trying to get on a call or any of those things, right? And so in, in one sense, it has essentially kind of made these technologies be become more uh, accessible and be more understandable. Absent this, what I would call as the force fitting of getting trained and educated on online technologies has essentially led parents to and teachers to believe that, hey, this is not that bad. You know, we can do a lot more using these online technologies or digital technologies than we had originally assumed. The human mind is extraordinarily innovative and creative and resilient. And it has actually found out that, you know what, we don't need to actually, you know, be dependent on a physical contact world that uh, there is a great appreciation for the fact that uh, a completely non-physical contact world can still exist and still get us to moving the needle in terms of uh, allowing students to provide or get access to uh, you know high quality educational content and learning experiences i think the world will move in the direction that i think we have we've been forced to live in one extreme environment at this point in time but when we bounce back and uh, a sort of a normalcy starts to prevail I think that we have accelerated what would have potentially taken anywhere between 30 to 40 to 50 years and compressed that knowledge curve in about, let's say, 18 to 24 to 36 months. And I think the future forward would probably uh, is likely to, uh, you know, allow us to get into a situation where there could be hybrid learning environments. That school need not be just completely 100% contact. There could be physical contact classes and there could be hybrid classes which can accelerate and accentuate experiences for both teachers, students, and parents. And I, I think that's the silver lining that I'm seeing. And I'm seeing a lot of benefits, positive benefits coming out of this miserable force fit experience we are all going through. Exactly. And and I like to say on the podcast, I, I believe this is the beginning of the the golden age of online learning, but really the golden age of learning for exactly a lot of the reasons you described. And I think we are going to end up at this hybrid new normal of the best of online learning and the best of in-person learning, the best of on-demand, the best of live. And uh, it's going to be a painful road. It has certainly been already, but uh, I think it's already getting better as well. This fall, there's some noticeable uh, differences that are uh, very hopeful versus uh, kind of what everyone was handed in the spring. And I'm sure you saw that, I think, the Wall Street Journal this summer said that the results are in and online learning failed. It's not going to work. And that was a very unfair <laughs> assessment of uh you know, what schools were asked to do and everyone, workplaces as well, uh, on the turn of a, a dime in uh, a, a day, a week, a month, three months time. And so I'm very encouraged that we're already turning the corner and there's a long way to go, but uh, programs like this are certainly helping. Um, my next question kind of comes around to uh, where are the, the limits for technology and, you know, how do you address uh Things like motivation for a student and, uh, you know, beyond just the, the comprehension, the other factors that go into this, I feel like uh, we're making some strides in that in the technology side of things. How are you guys addressing those uh, additional uh, challenges? Yeah, so the, there are two parts to that question, right? One is, uh, you know, what has actually happened to technology? I, I do want to kind of throw light on one component that many people may not have, uh, you know, realized that is actually happening here. 
uh, technology, the way this is working right now, uh, at least most of the online technologies that people are talking about seems to be very focused on the one-to-one -one Zoom video conference calls and all of those things, which is what I would call as synchronous technologies, things that will happen when you and I are at the same place at the same time, except that we are virtually connected through a Zoom uh, call or a Google Hangout. I think what's really happening is that if I, you know, if you go back to the example I gave earlier, if you think about Uber and Lyft, if you think about Netflix, if you think about Amazon, they did something different than just saying we just went, they just took things online. Amazon basically said, well, you could be in your pajamas on a Saturday night at 11 o'clock and place an order for whatever tchotchkes you want to order that pleases your mind at that point in time. And, uh, you know, voila, you know, either the next day or Monday or Tuesday, you had that uh, book or snack item or whatever you wanted to buy for your house landed up on your doorstep. So essentially, they made shopping experience being completely becoming completely asynchronous rather than the fact that you had to really dress up, take your car, go to Walmart or Target or any of those things. And that was the only available choice for you before that, which is synchronous learning, which is that you had to be in front of a store shelf in a retail store to pick that item or object and go through a checkout counter. That was the only alternative available, but then it completely changed it. So this big shift from, and the same thing with uh, going to a blockbuster and renting a DVD or a movie, very synchronous experience. Netflix, you could do the same thing. Earlier, you could just order DVDs to be sent by mail. It could come whenever it came to, and then you were able to watch it now. Stre you know, streaming has obviously narrowed the distance between I want to see a movie, and then three seconds later, you could be actually watching that particular movie on Netflix or Hulu or whatever it is you're doing, right? And, you know, the same synchronicity and asynchronicity is a big shift in technology. Uh, that is part of the, what I would call as transitioning from being strictly online to becoming digitized. Digitized meaning asynchronous. The best example I can give you is uh, telephone communication is online communication, you know, outside of voicemail. But if you really think about email communication, email is the first digitized example of human beings able to communicate. I could send you an email today. You could pick it up tomorrow morning at four o'clock in the morning when you're going, going for a jog and you can respond to me. I can respond back to you six hours later or 60 hours later or whatever it is, right? That's asynchronous uh, communication that is only possible when you digitize the experiences. And, uh, you know, Thinkster has been on the forefront. We actually think that we are the first company out there that is actually uh, completely uh, providing the a very digitally native asynchronous learning experience. So we are able to compress the learning experiences into an asynchronous component. So I wanted to talk about that particular technological what I think is a tectonic shift in the way things are being done in the field of education. And then you talked about the second thing. So what happens to human emotions when you are either talking about synchronous communication or asynchronous communication? I think that this whole notion that, uh, you know, there is uh, obviously huge amounts of, uh, you know, benefit that a student gets when they go to school. They are able to meet their peers. They are able to exchange stories, exchange life stories, exchange experiences about or frustrations that they had in solving problems. They are able to raise their hands, communicate with the teacher. They are able to see the teacher's emotions. The teacher is able to see the student's frustrations. Uh, and so there was this, uh, you know, kind of this emotional exchange between human beings, teachers and students that was actually happening in a very thriving school environment. Now, there is obviously that emotional gap that is obviously completely present where 
whenever you go through either an asynchronous process or a synchronous process, you know, we, we, we are essentially, uh, you know, not providing, especially students, that emotional component. Uh, that emotional component is extremely important. How does the student feel before they sit down to study? Uh, what are the study skills uh, the student is able to pick up when they are supposed to sit down and study? If they are getting into a difficult, frustrating problem that they have to solve, who do they turn for help? Uh, do they just raise their hand? When they raise their hand, who's around them to actually provide them as assistance? So this whole notion of motivation, attitude, uh, what I would call as study skills, uh, I would call also as organization skills in general, when you think about, okay, what do I do when I actually go home? Not, you know, when you, when a student goes to school, comes back from school, they may say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to kick the soccer ball with my friends for a couple of hours. Then I want to sit down to study at six o'clock before dinner. Then I want to do something else. You kind of develop some habits. What we have noticed in our own experience, uh, JW, is that, uh, when students, actually many students, in fact, I, I, my, my hypothesis is that pretty much all students, are genuinely intelligent and have the capacity to basically deliver outstanding learning experiences or get outstanding learning experiences and accelerate their learning outcomes as quickly as possible. The big dis discrepancy we have actually noticed is that is the distance in terms of the types of habits, the the frequency and the types of habits that each of those students possess. And if we can influence those habits uh, in a very deterministic manner, I think uh, learning outcomes are almost nearly impossible not to uh, not to not to be uh, achieved because uh, when you tell a student, hey, between 5 p.m. and 6 p.m. you can go play, but by 6 p.m. you're going to study, sit down on your study desk, and you're going to study. And here is a formula we're going to give you. You're going to write down all the things you actually have on your almost like a project list, a task list, an activity list. And here's what's going to happen when you feel frustrated. Here's what's going to happen when you feel happy. Here's what's going to happen when you're feeling uh, unsure. And then you tell the student and you provide that student this kind of a support structure and mechanism. Uh, JW, I tell you, you know, we would have an amazing outcome in terms of pretty much 99 plus n number of nines of students coming out with outstanding scores, pretty much all of them with A grades, because that is the only piece that's missing in this puzzle at this point in time, in my view. So that component also has to be introduced. And, you know, my, my thought process is that schools actually, this is one, one area where I feel that, uh, schools should consider thinking about this, which is, how do you teach students organizational skills, time management skills, study management skills, how to study smarter, how do you use mnemonics, memory palaces, things like that. I think this has to be a core subject that needs to be introduced in regular schools. Now, this is applicable whether you're in a, in a technology-driven context like the one that we are living in or in an actual school context as well, JW. Absolutely. And, and at whatever level you are, earliest levels, learning how to learn is the most important piece of, of education because there's no way a school or a university or an employer could teach someone, a learner, how to learn everything they're going to need to know to do that subject, that job today, let alone how that's going to evolve and change tomorrow. So learning how to learn has got to be the core foundation, uh, critical thinking skills, things like that, you know, all kind of play, have a role to play organization. So I, I think that's, that's spot on that uh, that really should be the the main goal and the subject matter is uh, the practice to learn those skills on how to learn um, in a lot of ways. Let's kind of shift again. Well, and, and to your point about uh, uh, 
uh, asynchronous uh, at market scale, we really believe that uh, B2B businesses never sleep. They're always open. Uh, you have the Amazon example. People complain that they're too big and making too much money, but who knows where we'd be during this pandemic without Amazon and others that have followed suit to get the things we need, essential supplies, the next day is is really uh, careful, you know, what you wish for. You know, if Sam, Amazon's not successful, that's not good for everyone. Uh, certainly there are limits, but, uh, you know, that is something where even the universities are struggling now. Uh, they have a, they're open at 7 or 8 a.m. and then they close at a certain point. Um, and consumers, learners are expecting that experience to be available 24-7 now, like Netflix, like uh, Masterclass or uh, Udemy or other, uh, you know, uh, delivery platforms like uh, Thinkster. So um, that is a, a tectonic uh, shift, absolutely. Um, but but getting back to the adding in the coaching on top of the, the scaffolding, uh, the high touch, uh, explain to us kind of how that works and, and how this is something that we've never seen before. Yeah, so uh, you know this this learning process per se, uh, JWO. In in our view, we feel that the world out there is divided into two segments, and we think that it has to be divided into three segments. Now, if you think about this, right? So, uh, you know, in one way, people are saying, well, we need to provide awesome content to students. Uh, you know, another way, we need to assess whether uh, you know students are able to absorb this content. Uh, we believe that, uh, you know, if I can use an analogy, you know, this is like taking a horse to the pond or the pond to the horse. Uh, you know, you can basically say, well, I, 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 I delivered content and materials to the student. Uh, but you're also saying, I'm also assessing how much a student has actually absorbed knowledge. The third component that we are talking about is, well, these two are important, necessary conditions, but not a sufficient condition. And the sufficient condition, the way we think about it is that, you took the horse to the pond, or that you bought the uh, you know pond to the horse, but then you're also assessing well how much of the water did the horse actually drink. What we are actually focused on is how do we make sure that the horse can actually drink the water, and how can we actually determine the rate of absorption of water by the horse, which is if you really think about it, is the rate of absorption of knowledge by a student. So what we are looking at this and how we are looking at this is that, well, all those other things are great. It are, they are required. They are absolutely needed for this to exist. But when we think about, uh, you know, is the horse absorbing the water? Is the student uh, absorbing knowledge? How do we make sure there are, there is a, there is a, what I would call as a very painful, but very difficult to scale and extraordinarily expensive way is by putting, uh, tutor or a teacher, depending on, you know, I, I personally don't distinguish between a tutor or a teacher because it's almost like the same person, but depending on the building they are in, they're either called a tutor or a teacher. Their objective is essentially the same. It's just to teach kids, right? So, uh, it, you know, we can basically say, well, I want to put a tutor or a teacher in front of every kid so they can personally observe, uh, you know, what the student is actually going through as they are navigating their learning process and the learning journey and then provide them feedback now, obviously, you know, if there are a billion kids in the planet, you need to have a billion teachers. It's going to be extraordinarily expensive. It's not scalable. Uh, and, you know, this is not, this is not going to happen. So this is where technology comes in. What we, uh, in ThinkStore, what we have done is, and this is, by the way, applicable to schools. Uh, our product is actually being used by a few schools across the world as well, but that's not our primary focus. But what we are doing here is we are essentially making a tutor uh, as a superhuman tutor. We are essentially giving them the ability to 
make sure that uh, a student uh, uh, a student's work can be observed by the tutor or teacher asynchronously so if you give let's say you're you're a teacher for 20 uh, third grade uh, kids uh, jw and let's say they work on 20 math problems each guess what you're going to be grading 20 times 20 400 problems this evening assuming you want to give them another homework tomorrow for you to understand you know well how did jack john and cindy do and what kind of challenges are they having where do they make a mistake and all kinds of analytics that will actually help you provide a more personalized instruction and feedback tomorrow when they come to class now this whole thing is now completely manual it's very difficult and in, in in this manual circumstance you're left with this two things well i delivered education i'm going to assess how much they have learned but if you have to get into this notion of how do i know how much are they learning how much are they absorbing knowledge we need to give you tools that only technology can provide you with the scalability to perform now again i kept telling you jw that what we're doing is not rocket science if i tell you 30 years back i gave you a 10-page document and I said, well, generally, you know, uh, type it up and, you know, make sure that you're able to verify it for spell check and grammar check. You'll take a big magnifying glass and you'll literally go line by line, page by page, do a whiteout, retype it. It's going to take, you know, 30 minutes or an hour for you to fix a 10 page document. You don't do any of those things because you have what is called as a word processing software, like a Microsoft Word or a Google Doc that tells you yellow, I mean, green or uh, red squiggly lines, page three, line four, word five, here is a typo, here is a gra grammatical error, go fix it. Now, what if we can provide teachers with a very similar thing? You get the stash of 400 problems, 20 problems each solved by 20 kids. And now I give you something like a word processing tool that tells you that, well, Jack, problem number nine, uh, you know, step number four, here is a mistake he did. Do you want to observe it and find out why he made that mistake? Voila. Now you have this in the, in the, in the classical, uh, you know, uh, statistical 80-20 uh, Pareto principle where 20% of errors are basically responsible for 80% of errors. If you as a teacher now get that particular insight using a tool like ours, Bingo, then you don't have to waste your time doing things that are not going to be having a material impact on a student learning outcomes. You can be absolutely laser focused and you can pinpoint exactly where Jack, John and Cindy have made a mistake and why they made the mistake so that your intervention can be as, specific, as specifically tailored to Jack, John and Cindy as it needs to be because if with that specificity is where you can essentially start to accelerate because Jack can me, you know, if Jack, John and Cindy worked on uncommon denominator addition of fractions, one by two plus one by three, for example, if uh, Jack didn't know the two times table, well, he needs to be taught the two times table. If uh, John did not know the lowest common multiple between two and three is six, well, you need to teach him how to actually do the lowest common multiple between two and three. And uh, two and three. And you know, if Cindy didn't know what a fraction was and how to manipulate fractions, now you have an entirely different, uh, you know, uh, you know, approach to making sure Cindy can come up to speed. Now, in a normal world, in a technology world that exists today, you have multiple choice questions. And, you know, all three students, Jack, John, and Cindy, would be getting the same treatment. Well, they they didn't write this uh, answer to this question correctly. Let's go make them all do the same thing again and again and again. That's not a solution for what we call as hyper-personalized uh, delivery, and that's not a solution for acceleration. So what we are really focused on is 
how can we quickly make sure that absorption of knowledge can be accelerated, which is a completely different thing. And I want to talk about an example I, I want to talk about here. Once again, I think the field of education has to take a step back. Let's take three students, A, B, and C, right? Uh, let's say they're all in third grade. Uh, let's say student A finishes third grade math in nine or 10 months. You would say it's an average time that most students take. That's an average kid. Student B takes, uh, you know, third grade, finishes third grade math in two years, not in 10 months or nine months. You're going to say, well, that student seems to be having some challenges. Could be a slow learner. Could be, have, you know, a student that needs additional help. Uh, and then student C uh, finishes third grade math in three months flat. And then you would say, well, well that, that kid is actually well above the grade level that he needs to be accelerated. Maybe he's a genius kid. Maybe he's a, you know, maybe he needs to be given additional, uh, you know, uh, enthusiasm and motivation. Maybe we need to, you know, move into a higher grade level. Now, in all of those three examples, students A, B, and C, all three students finished third grade math, which is essentially checking the box. It's a necess necessary condition. But the sufficiency was the way you created a label for these three students was entirely dependent on the time they took to finish the material, which is why I'm saying time to completion is probably the sufficiency condition that we have all been missing and that needs to be added back into our education system, which once again needs to be essentially the factor that determines whether you can accelerate acquisition of knowledge or not. So fundamental differences in the way we are thinking about solving this problem. And, uh, you know, we are, we are scratching the surface and because everything is digital, we can bring in AI components and machine learning components to this equation. But this is, this is a fundamental shift. And I, I would love to actually hear your thoughts as well. And, uh, you know, JW, because this transformation is required for us to actually become an outstanding country and an outstanding world where every student can be guaranteed the learning outcome that they deserve to get. Yeah, and I'd be happy to give my thoughts on that. Uh, first of all, it is groundbreaking. Um, typically, the studies, I'm sure, have changed in the last six months with the pandemic, but historically, uh, teachers are spending 10-plus hours a week grading papers. That's over 25% of their time, and that is a what we call a very low-value-add activity. It's manual. It should be computerized. Um, sure, there may be a few things that are uh, unique to grade, but anything that is standardized certainly should be graded. Um, so, so that's great. Uh, two, the, the personalized learning aspect is really becoming a reality. It's something in education we've been talking about for decades, and it's finally here. And I think hand-in-hand with the personalized learning is the adaptive learning, that it's going to naturally uh, challenge that student that has got the higher uh, growth rate of absorption and meet the uh, lower performing student where they're at specifically so that they can then increase their rate of absorption, right? It's it's sometimes uh, just a product of a student misses some foundational components and then they really struggle later on, then they lose motivation, then they are less organized. And so nipping in the bud, being able to not just assess final answers, but step-by-step -step data is really going to be uh, a monumental change and shift in early childhood development and student learning that is going to pay dividends that are going to be hard to research and calculate exponentially how much better uh, students are going to learn down the road. But it is going to be uh, a huge impact. Um, 
I could go on and on with my analysis of what you said, but we are running out of time, and I want to get to one more key demographic in this equation that has really come to light during the pandemic, and that's the parents. Um, parents are really struggling as well, uh, but it sounds like a lot of this technology can, can help the parents as well. Uh, what have you seen as far as trends in parent involvement? Well, so the, the, the things that we have normally seen is that parents are obviously a frustrated lot. Uh, you know, things that they would have, <laughs> they never were intended or many of them never signed up to be teachers and educators in their, in their own homes. Uh, they, they, they were like part-time, you know, cameo appearances, right? That's, that's like kind of what, uh, you know, I have three kids myself and that's exactly how I see myself. And, uh, so the, the, it's, it's enormously frustrating when parents are being asked to do things that they've never done before or, they have to juggle between their daily job and they have to now teach their kids. And now they're like, you know, if my kid doesn't get it the way I'm t teaching them, what other alternatives do I have? Right. So, uh, and unfortunately, this has also come at a situation where not only schools are not functioning, even regular brick and mortar tutoring centers are not functioning. So a lot of companies have come, you know, come online. There was lots of tutors who are basically providing services online. I think that parents now have more choices because there are more digital tutoring solutions, uh, that are available. And, uh, you know, they have to pick and choose. You know, in my view, data-driven tutoring solutions that can actually remove frustration and pain points. They have to be able to partner with someone who can actually provide, uh, you know, you know, tutoring, not just on a, you know, once a week or once in two weeks or any of those things. In fact, we are launching a product that's essentially, uh, it literally, it's being launched tomorrow. We are essentially saying every weekday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, you can essentially have a tutor who's uh, dedicated and assigned to you throughout the school year who's going to pay attention to your child in addition to providing daily grading and feedback. So, you know, parents should be thinking about this in no different ways than they are going to be hiring a consulting company, uh, you know, in their own professional world. And so they, they need to be looking at... Uh, uh, you know, what kinds of solutions do they need? If they're going to be hiring a tutor, you know, can, you know, can they make sure that they can ask the tutor, you know, can you guarantee me learning outcomes? Do you have a process? Do you have a methodology? Do you have valid credibility? And do you have data that shows that you have actually done this for other students? In other words, parents need to become essentially, they've never been in this role because they've always sent kids to schools and schools took care of the performance outcomes of. Uh, what I would basically say is that parents need to go through this process of evaluating companies that are out there, uh, you know, and ask them the questions about can they actually deliver high quality tutoring services can they can those companies show proof that uh, that uh, their their programs have worked with other students in those grade levels do they have really high quality tutors uh, do they have a system that actually provides a tutor the same tutor not a musical chair so you know there's one one tutor today another tutor tomorrow so i think that uh, there is a lot of change that's happening there but parents have also seen that uh, there is, uh, you know, there is obviously benefits to signing up with uh, an online tutoring service or a digital tutoring service like ours, uh, because, uh, you know, the pandemic has forced a lot of companies to revisit this and you have to, they have a lot more choices today and they are far more uh, open to the idea that, uh, you know, it's not that as bad as, uh, you know, it might have appeared in the first few months of COVID. Absolutely. And there's no question this has been very difficult on parents. But at the same time, I think it's been eye-opening um, for myself as a parent and other parents that I, I talk with on a regular basis. I, I think parents have a new appreciation for teachers, having been thrown into that role to some degree. Um, 
but I think they also have a new uh, engagement level, involvement level, ownership in the process that hopefully is a lasting effect as we hopefully uh, wind down from this pandemic eventually. And the new normal, if you will, uh, will have a, a greater level of involvement uh, from the parents. And I think this is a one great way to support the parents, but also keep them involved um, in that process moving forward. So uh, that is a great way to finish with some hope for parents, uh, as well as some hope for educators and learners uh, at all levels. Um, Raj, it's been great having you on. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, JW, for taking the time uh, and uh, for giving us the opportunity. Absolutely. And for everyone out there listening, thank you for joining us as well. And remember to always keep learning. <laughs>